Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and this is the show that I produce in Sydney, Australia, where I speak to leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. Thank you so much for joining me. Now today, I speak to Sydney guitarist, composer and academic Joseph Tabua. Joseph is an amazing musician. His influences include uh, conventional rock players alongside aleatoric and avant-garde guitar players and musicians from uh, a broader perspective from that matter. We discuss his guitar approach, starting from rock jams with an embryonic silver chair to the spontaneous and visceral improvisation of the Tabua Harrison duo, championed no less by Living Colors' Vernon Reed. There's a very cool story about that in the interview. We also look at Joseph's solo album, Half Ocean, Half Sky. We take a look at Joseph's academic work. Currently, he's completing a doctorate at Western Sydney University, where he studied music. Uh, That's where I went as well, so we share a few stories from that. We look at his gear choices for sonic exploration, and we end up with a fantastic list of boundary-stretching guitar players and musicians to check out. In fact, we've created a, a Spotify playlist, so in the show notes, you'll find a link to that. Now, during the interview, Joseph mentions another Guitar Speak podcast alumni member, Chris Brooks, who's a fantastic guitarist and teacher in his own right. And I've included a link to some of Chris's uh, most recent teaching materials through his Patreon page. I'm I'm checking some of that stuff out myself and finding it really beneficial. So check those, uh, those resources out as well. All right, let's jump straight into our interview. Joseph Tabur, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks, Matt. It's lovely to be here with you. Yeah, great to finally connect. Um, yes. Now, your your career as a musician is so varied, which I find super exciting, but can we go back to the start? When, when did you start playing music and were you brought up with music in your family? I sort of started playing in bands in 1993, just right at the end of high school. Uh-huh. Um, when I say bands, we, you know, it was kind of like, um, yeah, mainly just doing covers and stuff, you know, lunchtime, any sort of uh, uh, excuse to sort of, uh, you know, experiment in the in the music room or yeah. even the, the instrumental uh, storeroom. Yeah, yeah. But um, the other, yeah, the other answer to that question as well, um, no, no, there's no one musical in my family, which is, I was a, I was a bit of a, um, a strange thing, you know, telling your folks that, hey, I'm I'm very passionate about music, and um, you know I think they had other they had other ideas, you know. But uh, I've had a bit of a uh, you know an interesting journey, or you know I've done a, a couple of different things, and it's really funny. It's and now I've kind of uh, um, well I've ended up you know uh, uh, work well doing my uh, my doctorate now, you know, which is uh, much much later in life, you know, because I I met my partner. Um, 10 years ago, we got married not long after that. And, you know, she said, uh, you should, uh, you should go back and do some study, you know, like you, you've always wanted to, you know, and yeah, and, and uh, here I am, you know, like, uh, yeah, cool. Hey, yeah. Very nice. What was the stuff that turned you on to guitar? Um, oh, wow. Well, the, the stuff that turned me on to the guitar, it might sound not as exciting as the stuff. Um, you know, that I sort of uh, discovered later on. But uh, being honest, it was guys like uh, Ian Moss, 
Um, oh gosh, Kirk Pengelly from In Excess, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and from U2. That really, uh, uh, just listening to you know, obviously they're they're uh, there was there was an excitement, you know, and I'm obviously back in that that period too. There was a lot of times where because I taught myself how to play guitar. I'm guitar wasn't my first instrument. Um, in fact, it was a tenor saxophone. Oh, okay. And that's why I think I sort of uh, gravitated towards Kirk Pengelly from In Excess because he played, you know, yeah, the two yeah. instruments. You He's know, both. Yeah. yeah, cool. The guitar and sax, and then um, yeah, I was kind of torn because I used to. I used to play in like a concert band and jazz band in high school, and I was very serious um, about uh, about playing the the saxophone. And then um, yeah, and um, it's uh, just funny. Just uh, you know, sometimes you're meant to play an instrument, but I think I still kind of approach or have been uh, you know sort of uh, handling the guitar almost like a like a horn. Or, you know, it's kind of like the way that I think about um, sounds, you know, sonically, I guess. But I'm starting to, you know, as I'm still growing as well as a as a practitioner, you know, I'm still learning. You know, love I love learning about theory and and uh, you know, obviously I get excited by watching um, other other guitarists or you know even other musicians like on wonderful platforms like Instagram, for instance, mm -hmm. and, and YouTube. It's um, it's uh it's yeah it's incredible but um that's some kind of yeah that that was uh, the stuff that kind of got me interested really was guys like uh Ian Moss especially that matchbook album okay, that was yeah, yeah. incredible it was kind of the first time where i where i was able to um really learn well i think i could uh, was was able to play by ear and I, that's when I sort of dis discovered that, oh, wow, I can do this. And then um, not long after that, I sort of uh, obviously getting into what was playing at the time, which was a lot of U2, um, In Excess, my goodness. Um, and, uh, oh, geez, I started taking in much more of an interest in, um, like, uh, the blues guys, especially in that period, like uh, Eric Clapton. For instance, like I used to, my goodness, I I think I'd wore wore out this uh, VHS tape I had of his from um, <laughs> I was the Four Faces of Eric Clapton at the Royal Abbott Hall. Oh yeah, wow. Pausing the the videos just to get the shapes of the his fingers on the fretboard, and I still get a little bit sentimental when I do come across it. Like I I have it on DVD now, but um, yeah, that was a uh, that's when I I kind of knew like hey. This is uh, this is the instrument for me, you know, and um, yeah, and I'm, I'm still learning, you know, I'm still learning. There's so many wonderful um, musicians, you know, that uh, it's just yeah, that's that's a beauty of the instrument as well. Just man, there's just so much um, that uh, you know, the instrument it pulls out of you. But uh, my goodness, when you see somebody, uh, even though it's uh, you know the tradition is, you know. There's always somebody that just comes up every now and again that just, you know, just the way that they at attack something or approach, and um, I think it's very exciting, you know. Very cool. But by the time you're playing in in that band Junto, I, I, I gather that's not long after high school, if I've got my timeline right. You seem to be mixing a lot of straight ahead rock, but also some very atmospheric, very trippy stuff as well. 
Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. With Junto, um, well, previously before Junto, I should mention, um, I used to play in a, a terrific band, um, and these were guys from high school. Uh, we were called, uh, originally called the Coloured Bodies, just chromosomes, because we got the name from biology one day, and then um, <laughs> just after school, we changed the name of the band to Taboo. And it's, um, not many people know this, but uh, unless you've, you know, obviously friends, <laughs> We went into a, um, a wonderful competition they used to have at Campsy uh, called Youth Rock in 1994, and we we got through all the heats. We got to the the final, and um, it's funny we we actually uh, finished second, and the the band that came first with this you may have heard of them. They were called the uh, the Innocent Criminals from Newcastle. Oh yeah, of course, who became. And, and and they became obviously uh, Silverchair. Yes. Yeah. Wow. They, um, yeah, it was pretty, very exciting. It was very exciting, and um, we were kind of new. Um, <clears throat> well, there was obviously something brewing already. I remember at the time uh, of the competition, and um, but it was also, um, yeah, it was also exciting to see because we 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 actually got to jam with them afterwards. You know, when we all the awards were handed out and. I think we did uh, we did a cover, well, we did a version of um, Pearl Jam Animal or something, okay. you know, just yep. the, the sort of end of the night, and it was just funny, just um, yeah. Well, we got uh, well, obviously they got uh, they got signed very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what was it? Was it Epic or Sony? We didn't get a, a deal straight away, but we got a lot of interest, and we got a lot of um, we managed to get some time in EMI studios at 301 Castlereagh Street yeah, there. Wow, very cool. Um, and we recorded a demo there, which was uh, was really exciting. Um, oh, geez. And that was like, uh, that was very exciting because I remember it was the first time I'd ever been in a, a real uh, recording studio mm-hmm. and seeing all the, you know, geez, these Duran Duran uh, gold records. Yeah, and wow. um, Yes. And I remember even just coming down or coming up from the elevator um, and out the, the, we saw these two guys, and they looked strangely familiar. And then um, my bass player Mark at the time um, says, "Do you know who that was?" He says, "That was the guys from Skunk Hour." <laughs> <laughs> wow! Just like it just yeah, it was just um, so exciting, you know. Just um, yeah, I mean they were um, massive being, right then as well. They, they were oh, the peak right then. They were, you know, they were very big at that time, and yeah. You know, and anyway, that band Taboo, we were kind of, um, we were sort of like a rage, not rage, but maybe like a funk rock yeah. metal type sort of thing. And it's funny, you know, we, we kind of, um, we sort of, we sound very similar to uh, Rage Against the Machine's second album, Evil Empire. And not to sound, you know, like I'm boasting or anything, but I remember just sort of just uh, trying to stretch the uh, the instrument, you know, the guitar and when I say uh, what I mean is uh you know through extended techniques and I remember just I used to pull out the plug and put the plug um pull out the guitar lead I'd put that on the you know on the on the guitar I'd I'd put it on the microphone and I remember just seeing one one morning um Sunday morning and then there's uh there's this guy um outside uh, the video was them at um Oh gosh, it was a big day out in Sydney, yeah. And bulls on parade, you know. I was like, whoa, 
You know, it was uh, I'd heard of Rage Against the Machine, but I wasn't that, uh, you know, that schooled until, uh, you know, I heard that, that album. And then I kind of obviously went back and okay. now I've been a, a massive fan, huge fan. So you were already like a sonic experimenter, even even way back. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. What triggered that? Um, I think it was you know there was a few things, a few reasons. Um, one because I was very naive, um, very young naive. I wasn't scared to try things, but I also, um, you know, obviously you don't. You want to try and do things that uh, that kind of hasn't been done, you know. But, but you don't know this stuff until, you know, you get to go to perhaps university or you get a mentor that kind of explains these things to you or, or opens your mind to these, you know, possibilities. Yeah. And um, um, but I think it's definitely my approach, my approach uh, as a horn player. I, I you know, as uh, more than anything, I don't really listen to all that much um, guitar-oriented music, or or not until later. I'd say the last say six years. Okay. I was kind of really gone in, and you know, I was I was having a bit of uh, uh, about four four years ago, five years ago, I had a bit of a what do you call? Um, I just needed a bit of uh, encouragement or just to get some, I was in a bit of a rut, like uh, musically, or so I thought I was. And then I got in touch with an, a very old friend of mine. It's funny. Um, he, I know this, I knew this guy. Um, his name's Chris Brooks. You may have heard of him. He's, yeah, yeah. He's been he's on the a, show, actually. He's of, um, a Brett Garford. Oh, you've met him? Yeah, 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 yeah. terrific guy. Amazing. And I used to, oh, amazing musician, amazing person, just a lovely guy. And um, I've kind of known him even uh, since I was a teenager through when I used to visit a music shop that he used to he used to work at in Maryland. So anyway, and then um, I sort of got in touch with him and said, "Look, I'm in a bit of a rut. I, I think I'm, you know, I just um, just with the, I need flow or you know for soloing and you know it's especially hard too because say the when I say it's hard playing in a duo." Um, I'm kind of like left, I'm exposed, so exposed. And, you know, I can only, I try and avoid the obvious, you know, and try and, I felt like I was still sort of messing about too much with, uh, you know, minor pentatonic shapes and, uh, you know, these sort of ideas. But, you know, when I, I spent about a month with Chris and um, it's strange, he even though I was trying to get away from that, he actually taught me that I shouldn't be going away from that because it's it's actually quite important. And then, and then he um, introduced me to, um, oh, my goodness, like uh, I've just had a brain freeze, Cliffs of Dover. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson. And then, okay, oh, so, so you do, oh, yeah, you can do it like this, you know, and this, you know, and... Um, but I, but I also before I, I went and saw him, I felt that I needed to just kind of train myself up for a bit, you know. Like uh, so, I went back and did a bit of, um, in just a, you know, a bit of research and a bit of um, uh, just playing to some of like the neoclassical guys, you know, like Vinnie Moore especially. Um, I, I, I love that guy. I mean, his music and and Tony McAlpine. I thought, you know, because I'd always thought, oh. 
those are some guys I can, you know, I felt straight away like, hey, that's that's what I want to play like. But, um, you know, when I went to Chris and he sort of, he says, no, no, what you can, you, you can use that. But, you know, it's so important you, for you to just um, be yourself, you know, but don't be afraid to, you know, to use what you already know, you know, and it's funny. It's um, it's funny, you know. It's always until you sort of go out, and sort of uh, you know, the external, and then somebody can uh, <laughs> point out the obvious. Uh-huh. My goodness, it's it's a uh, yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> Man, what I love already just talking to you is that you um, you are really versed in these guitar guys, like those shredded guys you were talking about, and yet at the same yeah. time you're you're pulling out crazy stunts uh, already, like Sonic kind of experiments on the instrument so that's that's super interesting and then just to go to someone like chris um <laughs> who's affirming a lot of your ideas already yeah yeah hey can we talk <laughs> about the horn a little bit the saxophone because you've, you've mentioned it a couple of times um how you've brought that into your guitar playing what what sort of things has has that informed in your guitar playing oh definitely um well <clears throat> definitely the way um well, you can't exactly play a chord on a on a tenor. Yeah. Obviously, but you have to play these, uh, you know, arpeggio uh, like figures. And I kind of, you know, I think it's maybe a a, a part of me still wishes that I I stayed on the, the the horn, you know. But I also know that I was coming this way as well. And it's it's kind of funny. There's a there's a wonderful musician um, I was going to mention a bit later. And but I, my mind was blown when I was doing a bit of research on him oh, many years ago when I, I discovered his album. Um, it's called uh, "Ask the Ages" by Sonny Sherrock. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah, but, I have. Yeah. Yeah, and when I found out that he was a, a um, an ex horn player, and yeah. he, also felt, um, you know, he'd in- even introduce himself to. To people, you know, not as a, a guitarist, but as a as a horn player. Oh, okay, really? Wow. And that that just that just like um, that sort of reaffirmed things for me. Like, hey, I'm not I'm not alone in this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can. Um, but also, I also knew too that I had to I had to commit. You know, you can't serve two masters. You know. Okay, sure. Let Let's jump ahead a little bit because I want to talk about your your solo album, Half Ocean, Half Sky. And also, oh, sure. also the Scout album that came out. Now they both came out in 2018, and they both seem to me to stem out of your experience um, at uni studying music at, at UWS. Yes, yes. So let's let's talk about studying. So you say your, your partner encouraged you to to study. When when did the music degree start for you? Uh, 2011. I uh, did the um, the Bachelor of Music. Yep. Over at uh, Kingswood. Yep. Yep. And um, and then after that, I did uh, my honours. That was 20, 20, my goodness, 2015. I have to think about that. Forgive me as I'm looking up uh, yeah, my yeah. certificate on the wall. Nice, nice. <laughs> what was your honours project? Um, it, was, uh, it was actually the, kind of the, the same thing that I'm, I'm looking at in my doctorate. Okay. Um, because the honours year was so, my goodness, was so packed in. It was a very, very tight, um, I think it was, if I remember, eight and a half months, nine months perhaps, and there was still so much to, to be done. Um, and so I, um, I applied to do the, uh, the, the, the doctorate and 
I was awarded the Australian Postgraduate Award. Yeah, wonderful. Um, Congratulations, so, man. That's excellent. Yeah. And, um, yeah, then that's um, how I uh, got into or got started, yep. really. Yeah. And then um, not long after that, I sort of uh, was, you know, we are looking around at, uh, you know, uh, cultures. And there were some instruments around at the uni, uh, especially the um, the Chinese guzheng, the Chinese zither instrument. Yep. And... Um, yeah, it kind of made me think about, um, you know, as a guitarist, how would I approach this? At first, I tried not to, once again, you know, trying to be naive, trying to keep things fresh. But then I also knew that there was um, parameters that I had to sort of uh, had to respect. Or, you know, there's a formula here. Instead of uh, just going in blindly, mm-hmm. I could just, um, you know, really, you know, learn to uh, use this tool properly if I, you know, just um, will learn the, uh, just the, uh, the or learn to how to, to, to handle this, uh, this you know, beautiful instrument. But um, yeah, the, anyway, the half ocean, half sky, that, uh, interestingly, that wasn't a, a project for my doctorate. It was just something that I was, um, I was just sort of tinkering away at um, whenever I could, uh, had a chance. It's funny, I'd always end up, um, you know, it's probably the worst time to, to do any sort of work. I, I'd always end up uh, going back to my office on a Friday night and, um, yeah, and just uh, work on that. It was supposed to be um, released in 2017, but uh, I th- um, something came up. That's right. Oh, yeah, my second son. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that will and I had a gig that night too. I was playing uh, a uh, an experimental gig with the Gujang and um, effects over at 107 Projects. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah it was just incredible. I, I yeah, but I ended up doing the gig about uh, a month later, and it was terrific. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So what what did you take from studying? So you you're at it was called UWS then WSU now, if a Western yeah. Sydney University now for for our listeners beyond Sydney, I guess. Um, yeah. So what did you take? So I guess that access to the um, the good thing, of course. What, what what else did you get from the course? Oh wow, yeah. Um, my goodness, the the lecturers there, um, you know, in the actual uh, the the music degree, were just um, they were just incredible. They were just uh, guys like. Uh, um, John Encarnacio, um, Bruce Crossman. Yeah. Um, was Bruce there when you were, were there? Yeah, Bruce yeah. So I, yeah. I think, I think you probably had a lot of the guys I did, and um, I think a lot of them are still there. So I, I graduated yeah. in two thousand and nine. So my my honors year was oh, two thousand and eight. Okay. But yeah, John yep. was there, who's incredible. Yeah. Just an amazing person. Um, thing I like about John, and when I talk to guys like you, he's he's fluent in um, cheap trick, but he'll also yeah. talk to you about Stravinsky. Like he's got this whole gamut, and he's <laughs> just passionately engages in the whole thing. I just, yeah. He's really knowledgeable on it. So he was super inspiring. But yeah, Bruce was there. Uh, composition classes with, with him were, were like an experience every week. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, like, man. Diana Blom, yeah. um, Ian yeah. Stevenson. Kim Poole, I don't know, if, was Kim there when you were there? 
No, but I met Kim um, afterwards. Okay, yeah, and amazing. Yeah, I remember he. Well, I only had him once for four hours. I I know this well because it was a um, a music performance uh, lecture, and I remember just walking away from it. I actually recorded it. Um, I remember walking away from it. Just my mind was blown. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it just kind of. Um, and so it sounds like you had Kim, and you know he's he's the uh, the head of music over at uh, ANU now. Oh, okay. Oh, that's which cool. is um, really exciting. And yeah. um, he was, um, I think he uh, he worked with Bruce as well. Yeah. Um, or he supervised his uh, his DCA as well because okay. um, Bruce Crossman is uh, super supervising um, my DCA. Oh, okay. Okay. Right now. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So when I rocked up. I- Pretty much everything started from 1900. We didn't, we didn't go much earlier than that. We, um, yeah. we were just launching in 20th century chaos, which I loved. Um, yeah. So I don't know what the course <laughs> was like for you, like when, what the focus was. I think it may have been the, um, I think the format may have been very, very, you know, very close or very similar. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, just getting back to the guys, like um, you know, the the lecturers there. That, yeah, that, like uh, like John, um, another guy, Brendan Smiley, Ian Stevenson. My goodness, yeah. I, I remember um, in sound technology, just uh, just the amount of you know, he was very passionate, and yeah. um, my goodness, I remember him opening my my mind up to um, you know, like uh, stuff like music concrete yeah. and. Um, um, Hector Berlioz and you know just oh my goodness uh, Pierre you know Goulez and yeah I, I still like you know I think that may have I think yeah definitely that's you know being um, being around that uh, definitely uh, it definitely fueled my um, you know my arsenal yeah yeah you know um, in that sense you know even though it wasn't um, I wasn't using like uh, the ideas um, directly, but it, it it definitely was, um, you know, a big part of the the musical DNA, you know. And I think you you can also, um, it's I think it's pretty obvious, more obvious, the influences um, with the with the Scout album um, that I did with uh, Dr. Holly Harrison, which I met um, when I was an undergrad there. She was. Uh, I think she was, she just finished her DCA, I think. And um, I remember just asking her one day, um, oh, we actually played in a van for a, a very small time. Um, it's kind of like a, almost like a snarky puppy type thing. Okay. We were called, um, it was, uh, the band was called Snip Snap Dragon. Okay, cool. Yeah, So and she played flute uh, through... Um, uh, Ableton Live, trumpet. I was a guitarist. We had a bass player and a drummer. Awesome. And it was all like just instrumental stuff, but wasn't um, wasn't as improvised. But the, the more um, you know, songs, conventional okay. songs. Okay. When when I was finishing up my degree, we were hearing about Holly. Um, so ah, yes, yes. Like people in my year were hearing about her, and um, yeah, it's a great composer and a percussionist and. And a wind player as well, and and yeah, uh, was she playing clarinet as well? Am I remembering? Um, I th- yeah, she does, she does. Okay. But um, I I haven't um I haven't seen her play clarinet, but I know 
you know, I know she she plays it. Okay. Um, I sort of yeah. remember hearing about that, although it was a while back. Wow. Hey, um, you mentioned the word improvisation. Can for yes. most guitar players, we think of improvisation as in you know jamming over a blues progression or you've got your sixteen <laughs> bar solo. Can yeah. can you give me a definition, perhaps on a project like Scout? What does improvisation mean in that kind of setting? Ooh. Um, in that setting, I'd say spontaneous and visceral. Okay, yeah. So by spontaneous, yeah, because, um, let, let's break it right down because a lot of, um, like I said, a lot of straight-ahead guitar playing, we're looking at like a rock vehicle for someone to shred. Um, yeah. So yeah, what what do you mean by spontaneous? So I guess when you and Holly are jamming, Holly on drums and yep. you on guitar, mm-hmm. do you do you walk in with a game plan? Do you have chord progressions? Do you have ideas? What do you bring in? Oh no no, um, um, well we we there's nothing uh, spoken about, especially during performances. We try not to um, even talk before we, uh, we you know we get on stage if we're in the live setting, but. Um, with the the scout album we recorded that was we did we set up mics uh the first day uh just got line levels ready and then we came back and tracked the entire next day so the album was was um was very much recorded in one entire day okay one long day i think it was like the 16th or 17th of january and it was man i remember it was being so hot it was like we took a break about 12 30 and i remember it was yeah it was like 45 degrees yeah, uh, yeah. i'm not i'm not exaggerating you and you you know what yeah it's, uh, penrith man january yes know what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and i remember us going in our back afterwards um and we were, we were very flat it was funny and then we it kind of took us a bit of time to sort of uh uh you know pull, get some momentum again but that all that stuff um and you know on the album, on Scout, and even in our live performances, it's that is all straight up. There's there's no there's no discussion. You know, there's what key we're going to jump in or what we're going to do. It's you know, it's funny. Like um, you know, more than anything, it's a um, it's an em- emotional. It's it's uh, catharsis. You know, but I think that's the beauty of. Um, with, of of improvisation, you know, you're kind of um, being sensitive musically, but on the other side of that, you're kind of being insensitive to make, you know, to make a a gesture or a point. And I think that's that's the that's what's really exciting, you know, um, about improvisation more than anything. You, it's it seriously is a it's a it's a huge leap into the unknown. And I, I think, you know, it's so important to to make these mistakes, you know. Are, are they mistakes? I think Miles Davis has said, um, just, you know, if you do it twice, it's jazz. You know, it's, there is no, um, you know, there is no wrong. I think, um, and that's one of the things I love um, and appreciate about uh, improvisation, you know, um, especially. And, and, you know, when I think about uh, improvisation, I, it reminds me of the, when I really got turned on 
uh, to guitar improvisation, uh, I think it was maybe in 2000. Yeah, but it was an album by Larry Coriel and uh, French jazz guitarist uh, Borelli Lagrin. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the called Spaces Revisited. Yeah. Yeah, just... Um, I still think of that. That's for me. That's the, that's the benchmark. But it's funny when I when I, I first heard this album, <laughs> um, I, actually didn't see it. I didn't, you know, I uh, I downloaded it off the internet. I think it was something like uh, LimeWire or something or FrostWire or. Okay. <laughs> so I had no idea that there was two guitarists on this album. I was okay. just thinking, man, this Larry Coriel is. He's a beast, you know. Like, it's insane. And then, you know, obviously a couple of years later, then I picked up the the album. I was like, whoa, okay, this makes sense. <laughs> nice, nice, mate. That the Scout album is so um, it is so alive and and so exciting to hear the the conversations going on between you guys from the drums and the guitar. And as a guitar player, you, you are pulling out so much sonic. Um, and harmonic territory, as you said earlier, I think you're, I guess in a way you're exposed um, being the only harmonic instrument, but I guess that gives you a lot of freedom as well. One thing I noticed is that um, you're the guy who has to make the melodic statements and you, you seem to have a good knack on how long to state a phrase before letting it wash out and get ready <laughs> for the next thing. That's, um, that's an interesting juncture of, of form and, and being free with it. Oh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, I think um, I you know I can't take all the credit there for that. I think that's the it's one of the things I'm very um, I've been I'm very blessed you know to to share the room with Holly or you know that that sort of improvisation space. I think she definitely makes um, even though I'm you know I have a couple of jobs. Perhaps maybe I'm playing the bass player, I'm playing the the keys and the guitar, um, but. You know, uh, she lays down the bedrock, you know, and I think she's also being musically sensitive as well, even though, you know, we look we, we look at each other um, in that sort of typical sense while we're playing, and but we do try not to, you know, force things as well. You know, I don't know if, if you heard on the album, there's, there's, you know, times where it just accelerates, then it pulls back. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's all very natural. That yeah. that was all, yeah, just uh, off the cuff. That was in the moment, all in the moment, you know. So, you know, um, I, I think when you work with someone that um, has that understanding, you know, about that that sensitivity, it's um, it's yeah. Oh man, it it makes your job um, just a real joy, you know. And um, I actually, it's funny. I, I hope you don't mind me um, saying this. I. I gave the album Scout to one of my guitar heroes, uh, Vernon Reed. Yeah, wow. Like I, I literally handed it to him um, okay. after a gig at the Metro. And, yeah. You know, it was funny. I didn't think I'd ever hear from him again. But, you know, um, and then on Christmas, no, no, it was uh, Boxing Day. I get a, a message in uh, Instagram and he said he, that he loved the album. And, oh, wow. You know, he loved, loved Holly's playing. and So good. You know. And then he said, um, "Look, I'll I'll be back in two weeks, and I'll I'm going to tell you what I think of the album." <laughs> wow! No way! Yeah. So good. yeah. So Fantastic. that was man, you know, like geez, that was that was really exciting. And 
So what happened in two weeks? Oh, um, from what I remember, yeah, he he he, he loved it. Um, and he well, this is what happened actually. He he played the um the LP on one of his radio shows. Uh, I think it's <sighs> Maker Maker Park Radio. Like he, yeah, just um uh, actually was, oh, played one of the songs. Um, I think it's still up there. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, so great. On the on the website, but um, yeah, forgive me if I can't remember all the the fine details. Yeah, sure. I think that was very exciting because I, I've been a massive uh, oh, massive Venom Reed fan for oh, for many years, you know. Especially too, I think it's um, you know because I think too there wasn't many in the nineties. There wasn't many like. Um, black guitarists that you could sort of like gravitate towards like yeah. we had black athletes and stuff but i was you know i love sports but i also loved music and i remember him being you know apart from the just the blues guys yeah. i remember just being uh, just uh almost besotted you know the, just hearing um i think it was the first thing i heard was the the time's up album and then i i heard um okay yeah, yeah. Um, vivid. Yeah. Yeah. Just wow. And I just was a fan, you know, forever. Yeah. Had yeah. had the posters on my walls of Will Calhoun and yeah, awesome. Doug Wimbish and yeah, you know, and it's good too, you know. I, I, it's good in the sense that you know, um, having those guys that you you look up to, you know, gives you something to aspire to, you know, inspiration. But I, I tell you what, I, I must admit, I was terrified. When um, I was getting called up, you know, um, to come up and meet him uh, after the gig, because I, you know, we kind of chatted um, very briefly uh, on on Instagram. So yeah, just come up, you know. Yeah. Wow. And, um, I remember just uh, just yeah, it was just incredible, you know. There's just Doug Wimbish, Will Calhoun, just tapping on the shoulder. I'm like, I'm pretty <laughs> much, uh, I'm melting. <laughs> That's so great, and how amazing that he loved it and got back to you and and uh, yeah, it was really it was, affirmed it was, what yeah, you're doing. It was, it was so nice. It was so nice. That's you know, definitely won't forget that. And yeah. you know, both Holly and I, we were yeah, we were over the moon. It was yeah. uh, you know, something like that. Yeah, man. And I think he's that's you know, if you want to, I think a big part of my sort of musical DNA. I don't know if you ever saw videos that sort of came out at the time like we're talking about the you know um things i think it was a video called time tunnel and it just uh, it documented about their you know their rise or you know into you know uh popular culture i guess and yeah. did that have the stuff about their rolling stone support yeah, yeah i had that video i had it on vhs yes yeah so so did i wow <laughs> <laughs> wow but um yeah, just that you know, with those guys, I think um, I think f- for me they were so important because they like Sonny Sherrick, uh, Vernon Reed. Another guy I, I want to, who I I really really um, love is uh, is Buckethead. Okay. Yep. Yep. The the whole I think his approach, you know, has um, and I know he's got the, you know. He's got the arsenal. He's got the goods, but he's also, you know, just that whole um, the enigma behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think just you know, I think he's just prolific. You know, in particular, the one of his albums I 
I still listen to it uh, every now and again. It's the, you know, the uh, the Pikes, um, uh, Pike seventy eight. Okay. It's got like four, four untitled tracks on it. Um, yeah. I, if you haven't heard it, oh, yeah, I do recommend it. Pike seventy eight. Awesome. From uh, yeah. I'll check that That's, out. I know some of his stuff, but yeah, cool. He's got yeah. There's so many like EPs and. But um, I love his approach to improvisation. I think it's, you know, <clears throat> I think it's honest, it's raw. Um, and look, you know, some people may find it confronting. Some people might not dig it, but that's totally, that's totally good. That's necessary, you know. I think that's a, that's important, you know. At least we're keeping things honest and, uh, you know, as an artist, I think that's, you know, not to sound like a bit of a cliche or anything, but that's it's so it's it's crucial. Oh, of course, you know? yeah. To grow to grow. Yeah. And I think people people see through that as well. You know, it's not contrived or anything. But when you're performing, because after the after Scout was released, you you guys were were doing some gigs and and traveling around. How much of the album then? Um, just jumping back, I guess, to that idea that the albums freely composed when you're performing live now are you trying to recreate those jams or are you just kicking off totally new material oh uh, every every performance is um yeah it's not the same um we never revisit any idea okay um it's all fresh it's um yeah it's all fresh it's we we played our last gig it was a while ago now um it was actually funny that we even got asked to do this. It was actually a wedding um, in the Blue Mountains. Wow. And we were, we were really surprised that um, the bride was so adamant, you know, like, yeah, we've got to get those guys. And, and, uh, <laughs> That's the best. And the, apparently the bride and the groom, well, before, you know, they were married, they, they, saw, um, they saw Holly and I playing at uh, a venue in Katoomba. I wish I could remember the name. Forgive me. And uh, it was an old church. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I remember them. It was really nice, you know, that they asked us. And and the reason why I bring this up is because I remember doing the wedding gig. It was it was fantastic. It was all, you know, um, yeah, it was just a, a fresh improvisation. Um, and I remember a few people coming up afterwards asking, wow, that was, that was really amazing, right? Have you guys played those songs before? Or, you know, is this a set that you guys normally play? And I said, uh, no, no, this is, this is, um, yeah, we just came up with this stuff, yeah, tonight, right now. You were there. <laughs> <laughs> That's and so I think good. it kind of, um, it kind of frightened them a bit, but you know, like, um, but yeah, you know, it, it was, it was exciting, you know, and it still is, it still is. I miss it. I miss it. <laughs> So where's that project up to at the moment then? Obviously, we're in well, semi-lockdown with COVID and, and all that as yeah, we speak. Yeah. But... We were planning to do um, uh, a follow-up this year, but obviously with, yeah, you know, with the, the COVID-19 pandemic and it just sort of um, threw things off uh, of course. Sure. We had an idea and we're still talking about it. Um, um, of poten- uh, you know, there's a potential of doing like a, a duets type sort of situation where we sort of introduce uh, different, uh, uh, diff- you know, just different musicians, you know, to, to, yeah, just to see what happens, yeah, you cool. know. But um, hopefully that, um, 
hopefully that uh, that happens. But we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. But because the oh my goodness. You know, with just uh, the current climate and what's happening, and yeah, it's obviously. But we'll um, we'll get there though. <laughs> sure, sure. What what kind of rig do you lug? I've got a very basic um, setup. I, tr- I try and keep it as really minimal as possible. Be just, you know, um, I have a, a Line Six M Nine. Yep. That's for a lot of the time-based effects. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've got a DD uh, five hundred. Yeah. Although I haven't been playing that a lot, I've been uh, messing about with my DD20, which um, I think is amazing still. Yeah, even they're cool. Uh, yeah. It's uh, much older, but I, I don't know. There's something just um, um, there's something just appealing. I don't know. Um, I I have uh, the Boss uh, for the Crunch Boss Adaptive uh, Distortion. Okay. Yeah. But. Um, on that day, on the recording, I was, I definitely, yeah, I had, uh, I was running through an AC30, and I normally run that, um, run through an AC30 with these effects as well live. Okay. Although I did have, on the album, on Scout, I did use a Digitech GNX9 okay. uh, for some of the clean guitar stuff you hear towards the end of the album. Okay, cool. Yeah. Nice, nice. So I mean, that's a few effects, but they're all pretty powerful. You can all you can pull a lot of stuff out of those, especially those boss delays. Oh um, yeah. Oh, there, there is one one pedal. Forgive me, uh, Matt. Um, my goodness, I've and I've had this pedal. Uh, it just, it's funny. I, I I've had this pedal. It's it's been it's been with me since 1994. The the Digitech uh, Whammy. Oh and yeah. And it is yeah. that thing is just. It's, I've never had a problem with it, yeah. never. Like I've had, you know, gear die or, you know, mid-gig mid, mid gig or whatever, and this thing just keeps on going. And I just can't part with this thing. It's it's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with uh, the octaves and you yeah. can, you know, detuning um, sounds, it's uh, it's brilliant. And when you, you know, you turn it uh, uh, counterclockwise or clockwise, whatever, um, especially that version, you can get, um, you can make uh, bagpipe type sounds. Wow. With a little bit of crunch, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah, oh, you know, Kill. in between the note, the microtones. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> far out. Man, I would love to hear that next record. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what, what guitar are you playing? Um, uh, today, um, I've got a well. The main guitar is the the Billy Corgan uh, Fender Strat. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Uh, the other one I I was used on the album on Scout was uh, a 1993 uh, Les Paul uh, Gibson. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Standard. Yeah. Um, I love that thing. I used to use that guitar in Junto okay. for uh, um, open tuning stuff. I used to have this um, this tuning D A D A D D, kind oh, of yeah. like a nice. almost like a mandolin thing and. A mandolin tuning, but uh, yeah, yeah, and it's it's just nice. I, I really miss playing that guitar, but it's it's um, um yeah. Well, you know, Les Pauls. My goodness, they're they're um very expressive. I mean, it's this might sound like a weird uh, a weird comment, but um, I don't know. I find 
that the, when I play the Les Paul, it's um, I find uh, I play differently, more aggressively. Okay. Whereas when I play the the Strat, I'm I'm being a bit more tender and trying not to. Okay. You know, yeah. it's really funny. I have a friend uh, uh, who um, is kind of the other way. <laughs> he goes, no, no, it should be the other way. Says, oh, <laughs> you know, you can't help these things. <laughs> man, that's the fun but of it, hey, the expression oh, coming out oh, differently man, on different, so different parts. Yeah. yeah. And I've never, I've only just started um, a, a PRS. Um, I don't know if you can see that. Oh, man, that's awesome. For the uh, yeah. for the viewers at home listening to the podcast, it's a what is it? It's PRS. It's got a Floyd on there. What, what, what model? It's a yeah PRS custom Floyd Rose twenty four fret. Wow, rock and roll yeah. man, that's awesome. It's it's really nice. Um, oh yeah, I, I keep forgetting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no one can see it. <laughs> They're all imagining that's... it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that that. That is my number one guitar right now because okay. obviously it's a, I can pull out, I've got the sensitivity, I've also got the, um, you know, the power. Rocking man, that's in nice. There as well. and yeah, and you know, the, the Floyd Rose, my goodness, my, I, you know, I kind of, for many years I used to, I think maybe because I was always in a bit of a hurry, I just had no... No patience for uh, restringing. <laughs> okay. You know, I was just, I'm just a, was yeah. just a simple guy, you know, in the back of a strap. But yeah, I, I totally understand now. You know, if you, you know, if you want to use the tool, you've, you've, you've really got to respect and, uh, you know, learn everything about it or as much as you can to, to maintain it, because right then and there, that's when you really, um, you, you can really speak, you know, with the tool, with yeah. the guitar. Just so exciting, you know. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. Yeah, it's never yeah. ending. Yeah, that's. I think that's the best attitude. Um, <laughs> hey, you mentioned your doctorate. So that commenced in 2016. Um, you said yes. you, you won the. Uh, what's it called again? Australian Postgraduate uh, oh, Award. That's it. Which is essentially. Yeah. Uh, is it still like a three-year scholarship? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. Uh, tell me about yeah. that. What's the What's the focus there? You said it was similar to your your honours project? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, um, it's, yeah, it was the, I'm looking at, um, I, I should mention the title again. Should, should I? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right away. Uh, the title of the, the, the thesis is uh, Reinventing Minimalism, Assimilating Repetitive Structures, Oceanic Rhythm and Harmony with an Electric Guitar-Driven Musical Voice. Awesome. What's your, so, um, what's your thesis statement? Because does everyone ask you, is this a common thing when someone says, yeah, I'm doing a doctorate, everyone <laughs> says, what are you doing? And you've got to explain this oh, massive yeah. this massive idea. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in it's two funny. sentences. When I, when I mention the, you know, I've, 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 I think for the first couple of years, I was extremely um, almost uh, embarrassed, you know, because it it's a huge title. But also... The best I ones are. You, you find it... <laughs> As a postgrad, you find you always find it hard to talk about yourself because you don't want to, you know, you know, <laughs> you just don't want to, I guess, bore people. But I think I've learned now because I'm at the towards the end of it now yeah. that it's oh man, it's so important, you know, that you um, don't be embarrassed to, 
you know, about your work or your research or anything that you, you know, that you, you're, you're passionate about, you know, I think it's important to, to, to share and, but I, I did, I've always, yeah, a few people, yeah, I'd get asked these questions and it's funny. Um, so I was coming at it from, um, where I was looking at more, uh, mainly my, um, where does my musical voice come from? And the more that we unpacked it, um, you know, I've obviously had the, my beginnings of, you know, pop, uh, pop music, rock music, guys like uh, Kirk Pengelly, The Edge, you know, that sort of informed my, you know, guitar right at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of went into, <clears throat> well, as I was talking about uh, being a tennis saxophone player, and then sort of um, I, I discovered uh, not only that informed me, but uh, just going to church and stuff when I was very young. Um, uh, my mum was a Methodist, and my dad was catholic so i don't know if you've ever been to like a almost like the methodist or pentecostal church some of those um the the music especially the yeah it was just very raw very powerful yeah 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 apart from the long ceremonies like uh but okay. um um yeah and i could sort of see i was trying to see where i was coming from but i also knew that a part of me um which, thank goodness, to you know, Western Sydney University, where I was open, uh, my mind was opened up to uh, people, composers like uh, Terry Riley, uh, Philip Glass, yeah, yeah, Steve Reich, and um, you know, they kind of kind of made me think about um, what's uh, what's excited about music. Why am I here today? You know, and and also, more, most importantly, about why do I have the need or compelled to play the guitar? You know, um, I did, a few years ago, I, I did a paper um, over at, uh, presented a paper at uh, Melbourne Conservatorium, and it was the, about uh, guitar cultures and how, for instance, the America and how it came through the, um, you know, into the Pacific, into Australia. It was really interesting. Um, my paper was um, on how Hawaiian music uh, or the ukulele sort of came, you know, into Australia and, you know, into how it was introduced, uh, you know, through um, the Portuguese sailors, mm-hmm. you know. Wow. And obviously uh, not long after that, the, the steel guitar by uh, uh, Joseph Kekuku. I think it was interesting that I had to... Um, oh, getting the opportunity to, to, to do research and being invited to, to that conference, it kind of made things, um, you know, not only uh, more serious, but also it answered a lot of um, questions that I had, you know, about my, my practice, you know. Why was I um, playing this way? Or why did I choose to play this way, you know? And I think uh, sort of you know, getting that opportunity to to present you know um, that paper it definitely helped you know um, with work you know uh, with what I'm trying to say musically um, as well and not just in the uh, you know the exegesis hey is there much do you think there's much research into guitar practice 
Um, especially electric guitar, I, perhaps. If I can put that caveat on. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think there could be more. You know, um, I'm trying to think. One of the first papers I, I, I remember coming across, um, was when I first started my, my, you know, my PhD was Zane Banks. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you've ever, you know, you, I'm sure you've heard of him. He's a, you know, terrific. Uh, Terrific guitar, you know, well, yeah, terrific amazing. guitar player, amazing music. We're trying know. to tee up a time to talk, actually. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, yeah and um, if you ever get a chance, you should definitely check out his um, his uh, his doctorate because there's lots of stuff in there. When we've been emailing back and forth, one of the things I asked is, uh, could you come up with a list of some must-listen-to improvisers or avant-garde musicians? Now, you've already mentioned a bunch of fantastic names for us to follow up on like the sunny shark stuff um, oh yes yes obviously the vernon reed uh stuff in and out of living color are there any other essential names um for avant-garde oh, yes. guitar i you, must you i must oh, i'm glad you asked this question <laughs> um guys that i man i think about almost every day even or even when i pick up a guitar for that matter you know i try and think oh how would you know how would john mclaughlin do it or how would Jimmy Herring do uh-huh. it? You know, I listen to those guys and um, quite a lot and try and, you know, almost mimic them in a way. But also, a part of me also doesn't want to, you know, just be a carbon copy. Yeah. But I think that's that's how you learn how to, um, you know, to speak the the language, you know. So what do you, <laughs> you know, take? Like was, what do you take from those guys? Say. Say McLaughlin, what do you take from him without wanting to just um, produce a facsimile? What what what's the vibe you co- you collect? Oh man, the, the the thing that I've always loved um, about John McLaughlin, um, and I didn't realize this until geez afterwards, and I discovered a bit more as I was doing my research because I do mention John McLaughlin in my my doctorate. <laughs> As well, it's definitely his approach to um, um, <clears throat> improvisation. I don't know if you've ever seen his uh, his treatise. You know that um, this is how I sort of do it. Yes. Those videos, or yeah, yeah. I, I remember spending my oh goodness many many months just going through those on my own, and you know, there's a real wonderful um, sort of discipline about it. You know, it's almost like uh, you know. Just simple things like simple concepts like um, intervals, for instance, you know. If we just um, think about that, how, oh, look, yeah, perfect fourth, you know, major six. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, you know, as much as um, we want things to be um, to be organic and to flow, I think you really need to have the, um, the knowledge. You've got to you got to have that theory, and that's one of the that's just one of the things I've I've loved about uh, John McLaughlin um, for a long time, and obviously his uh, his openness to culture, especially uh, you know North Indian uh, classical music, yeah, and, yeah. and you know I remember him introducing me to not personally, but um, uh, this wonderful uh, electric mandolin player. Uh, Upalapu Srinivas. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him. He played in Shakti. Um, He's he's passed away now, but if you've ever heard this guy, 
this, he was a, like a child prodigy. Um, you know, just him being able to open up uh, and give some of these guys that normally wouldn't even get a chance, you know. Um, I think that's that's wonderful. But also, if I'm if I'm if I you know another thing that I do love about him is that that amazing band he had in the you know in the seventies, Mahavishnu Orchestra. My goodness, like to me that's still for me personally that's a that's like the benchmark, you know, like especially the, the the amazing musicians that he surrounded himself with. Like for instance, another guy that I absolutely love and I'd I'd put his one of his albums, Billy Cobbin, in my um, you know, top avant garde guitar albums, even though it's not known Spectrum as a yeah. guitar album. It's a drum album, but my goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that McLaughlin on that record as well? Uh no, I think that was oh, forgive me. Maybe John Abercrombie? Oh, okay, okay, yep, yep. Yeah. And the other um Billy Cobbin album, uh, which has uh, Tommy Bolin. Yep. Oh, my goodness. What was it called? Um, I know they did a record. I just can't remember the name either. To- to- totally Clips. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Have you heard that album? Yes, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Just the opening track alone is just, seriously, that's like a, seriously, <laughs> transcendent. My goodness. Yeah. Um, another guy I... I love, and I tried to introduce some uh, some students to the amazing work of this guy, Australian um, musician Oren Ambachi. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, and he has a wonderful album called Hubris, which came out in 2016. I, I think what he's doing is um, is uh, exciting. It's it's important. Um, another person oh, I absolutely love. Um, Frank Zappa, in particular, the, the Zoot Allures album. Okay, yep. Yeah, and um, one another guy that I'm, um, I'm very, very fond of, uh, Jeff Beck. Mm-hmm. And I, I was and he... lucky enough to see him in concert uh, once, and I, I remember that that's almost, uh, yeah, that was pretty, um, that was very special. I remember getting home very late that night and just uh it was really weird i know this sounds bizarre but i swear i think i started to play like him yeah yeah <laughs> just because i just seen him I, I saw him like two hours or something before yeah I wow. said, I need to get home and practice yeah wow <laughs> unreal any particular era jeff beck that you're into oh um definitely um if i had to it's it's kind of hard jeez i love Obviously, the obvious one would be the the blow by blow. Yeah, uh, 1975, I think it was, and then. Um, but the one I really love, and I know, man, from start to finish, is uh, Jeff Beck's Guitar Shop. Yes, yeah, that was my Especially... first Jeff Beck record, and then I kind of worked backwards from there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot order. of people kind of um kind of did that too. Yeah, but um, isn't that a terrific album? Yes. Jeez. Yeah. My goodness. Where were you? That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> goosebumps. Still, go, I'm still getting goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard his Beatles stuff? The live. Yeah, yeah, it's terrific. Ah, oh, it's terrific. Jeez. Yeah. Um, man, how's that guy for you know, um, facility? You know, and he's saying, you know, I remember 
there was a quote of something, you know, what's it like to be, uh, was it the best guitarist in the world? And I remember him sort of saying, don't ask me, go and ask John McLaughlin, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it kind of reminds me of another one, um, of another guy, uh, was it, somebody asked Eric Clapton, so what's it like being the, uh, the best guitarist? And he goes, don't ask me, go and ask Prince. Okay. <laughs> oh, speaking of guitars, I love that's that's another guy. Um, oh yeah, yeah, Prince. My goodness, um, I think his approach. You know, there's a. You know, I I haven't done a great deal of research. You know, or read. You know, biographies or, or, or you know on Prince, but I think his um, his approach to guitars has always been. Um, I've always been interested in that, you know. I think it's really dynamic. In particular, there's a there's an album of his. I think it even when he wasn't even called Prince, it was just the symbol. Um, I think it was called the Gold Experience, and it's really funny. It's when I say really funny, it was more. Um, it, was, it was kind of like a rock album, like it had you know, amazing big drums, big guitars. Obviously, um, apart from the. And it also had the, you know, conventional sort of uh, pop songs and, and whatnot. But I recommend that album from start to finish. Jeez, that's that's a journey, you know. Yeah, cool. There's so much to be uh, to to take in, you know. Nice, Joseph. I'm I'm writing down all these names. I'm gonna make the Joseph Tabua <laughs> guitarist to check out list. This is cool. This is great. Uh, uh, print. print. I remember hearing uh, "Let's Go Crazy" when I, I think just before I learned guitar or when I was starting, and um, yeah. that was that was when I realised, oh, okay, that's what a guitar solo is. Okay, cool. He's moving his fingers. It's making these notes. Well, it's him and Ace Freely about the same time, but wow, that that cadenza at the end of that tune is like okay, cool. And then me working backwards, okay, kind of Hendrixy as well. I noticed on with for for the listeners, we're um. We're talking over Skype, and I, I can see Hendrix and Prince behind you on your wall in your music that's right, room there. That's right. Awesome, man! <laughs> awesome. Prince is playing the uh, the cymbal guitar. Yes, yes. Which, if nothing else, has very good upper fret access with all those. <laughs> that's crazy. You know, it's it's funny. Um, uh, about two weeks ago, I was in um, uh, Pete's Music uh, Market in oh, yeah, Newtown. Newtown. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's so funny. I just went in there. It was, you know, just to see yeah, I was actually looking for a, a Fender Telecaster. And then, um, yeah, so looking there, he was pretty busy. So I didn't want to bother him too much. You know, he's obviously, you know, looking after the customers. And then as I'm looking up, I see this white cloud. No and this way. white cloud was pretty much, yeah, it was the, uh, the Prince, uh, Prince guitar. Wow. <laughs> and... I had the strangest re- um, reaction. I, yeah, I just looked up for it, and uh, yeah, I had, I had to leave. It was just because <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd probably take the thing home. I'd buy it. <laughs> you could pull that off. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool, man. And what, you had it up high, so you had to look up and see the cloud up high. That's, that's, yeah, uh, well, that's see, beautiful. It's funny, yeah, because obviously you had it hanging from um, the ceiling because he's got a couple of uh, guitars from the ceiling there. Okay. But, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't um, yeah, that's funny. It was a cloud, the cloud guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't find a Telecaster? Pardon? You didn't find a Tele? No, no. no. I'm looking for one in particular. Uh, uh, 
Um, the Japanese, well, I'm looking for a Japanese uh, Fender Telly. Uh-huh. Um, and I know he gets a lot of, uh, uh, Pete gets a lot of nice um, quality uh, Japanese, uh, you know, uh, tellies in there every now and again. Yeah, cool. Yeah, Pete's man. How nice that a shop like that's still going as well in, in oh, this day. It's amazing. I think it's, you know, that's one of the things I miss, you know, about the, and I'm sure you feel the same way about, um, you know, the human connection, you know, walking into a, you know, a music shop and I'm pretty lucky. I've got to, we've got a, where I live, uh, I've got like downtown music just around the corner, which is, okay. you know, and oh, I feel so blessed. I can literally walk down the street and, you know, nice and get things, you know, what I need. But I'm, I'm also a little bit spoilt because of just with time, I'm finding myself just even ordering strings and, uh, Jazz threes on eBay because yep. it's just convenient. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I miss that whole. Um, definitely miss that whole uh, that vibe. You know, but yeah, it was a culture. You know, when you walk in and like, hey, have yeah. you heard this? Or yeah. you want to try this pedal out? You know. Yeah. Oh man, those those were the days. <laughs> yeah, man. I remember reading and buying stuff from Pete's when uh, he was putting ads in the Trading Post, which is the old. Oh, yeah, uh, so I, I remember the Trading you Post. You do, yeah. Cool. Uh, and uh, yeah, every Thursday. So, oh, what's Pete got? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hey, Joseph, it's been so fun talking. Um, we could we could pretty much go through every music shop in Sydney. Um, <laughs> but Pete's in downtown are still going, so that's that's good. Um, but yeah, mate, thank you so much for your time. It's been so fun talking about your career and all, all these influences and your academic work. I, I find it all thoroughly fascinating. So I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with me tonight. Oh, Matt, it's been a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, there you go. My conversation with Joseph Tambua. Man, such a, a humble and thoughtful musician and a fantastic musician. So it was really great to have him on the show. Please check his stuff out. And also a reminder, we've got a Spotify playlist and links to uh, some of Chris Brooks' teaching resources in our um, episode notes as well. All right, thank you so much for joining us here on the Guitar Speak podcast. My name's Matt Wakeling. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.